Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming, you, I'm coming to you from the temporary Drunk Gossip Studios here in Detroit. Um, my mind's a little ahead of the game, which I guess there is a first time for everything. Um, I actually recorded the intro before, but I completely screwed up, so... You know, there we go. <laughs> In any case, we there's an exciting show ahead for you today. Um, we're going to start off by talking about Kiki Palmer and R. Kelly. I didn't actually realize that Kiki and R. Kelly had any kind of relationship, but I was wrong. Um, apparently, R. Kelly mentored Kiki. And she was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. And he, a, a caller asked her about the allegations against R. Kelly. And she said, the whole thing was eye-opening, painful, sad, and disappointing, and heartbreaking. Um, and then Andy Cohen asked her if she was surprised by the allegations. And she said, yes, because that's not the side I knew. That's not the person I worked with. That's not the experience I had. So just imagine if you're having a great experience with someone and then you're hearing all of this stuff like, why didn't you show them what you showed me? That's the feeling I had. I ended talking about it because it, I felt like, man, you were a friend to me. And then I'm seeing you as a foe to others and I'm hurt for them. How do I feel about that? How do I put myself in that... And, how do I put myself in this position now? It was very sad. I think everyone that loved him as a person probably feels that way. That's not something you want to hear about someone you cared for. And I'm not calling Kiki Palmer a liar, but she's definitely not telling the truth. Here's, here's why I say that. Everyone had heard the allegations, and as we talked about in the um, in the C Damn Blind Item Reveal episode on, I believe it was Sunday. Um, everybody knew that he and Aaliyah were were together when she was very, very young. This is not a big surprise, and for her to act like she didn't know or had no clue, I feel is disingenuous. Now, and I I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for this. And maybe rightfully so. I'm, you know, I'm always one who will admit when I need to take it down a notch. But, I, you know, Kiki is very young. So maybe she really didn't hear about the Aaliyah thing. But she heard about the piss tape. She heard about all these other girls... Beforehand, she had to have. You know, maybe she chose not to hear it. Maybe she chose to... Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, because I don't think victim blame is necessarily the right way to say it. But maybe she just chose not to, to worry about it. Which is absolutely... Um, the right, well, it is absolutely her right, all right? I'm not arguing that. 
you know, with with an ex of mine, I turned a blind eye to a lot of things until I couldn't anymore because I was so digmatized. Um, I'm not saying that's what happened here. Maybe one day Kiki will tell us what happened or, you know, she'll go into a little bit more in depth of an explanation as to why she felt the way she does. But, and you all know I'm not a fan of Andy Cohen. But I really love that he has watched What Happens Live. And that the format of the show allows it to be very freewheeling. And we get information like this. And we can kind of see um, the inner workings here. You know, you get a couple drinks into a celebrity and all bets are off. You know, yeah, Kiki's statement sounds prepared, but I'm sure she's been expecting people to ask her. Like I said, I had no idea they had a relationship at all, but I mean, she must have, and they must have, her team must have started preparing for this, so there's that. And here's this. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. And this one, this story is a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, mostly because, as usual, um, it seems like the rich, is, the rich people are getting away with more than what they should be. So, Inti Lawyer has been warning us for months now that he felt like the fix was in and that Kevin Spacey would not face jail time and probably would not actually even be going to trial. Most of us said, no, 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 of course he's going to trial. He did something wrong. Um, you know, and um, up until now, we all believed that he would at least face trial for, for what happened. But... It's looking less and less likely that he's going to actually face the charges. Um, And it appears as though later this month they could actually be dropped altogether. Now, Kevin, of course, has denied any allegations against him. Um, He stopped short of saying that... I, I believe he stopped short of saying that it was consensual, but... Um... The implication was definitely there that he felt that this was something that um, they both wanted. This being him groping an 18-year-old boy's dick and feeding him alcohol. Now, I don't know why. And this is something that I'm still trying to, I guess, process and understand a little bit better. I don't know why he's not facing charges for buying the kid drinks because he's never denied that at all actually all he's denied is jerking the kid off so not i'm not quite sure um you know maybe it was let's go for the bigger charges type of thing or god who knows what else it could be honestly um but here's the thing Again, Into the Lawyer has been telling us this for a while now. And, you know, again, over the weekend we did the CDM blind item reveals. And this was definitely, um, allegedly, 
he was involved in in someone's death in order to cover up um, his actions. You, we can debate that later. Right now, we're going to focus on what happened in court. Um, the victim has said he knows nothing about um, deleted text messages off his phone. So, Kevin Spacey has built his whole case on there being missing text messages where the boy actually gives consent and allegedly says things like, oh, I like this, or, you know, it doesn't feel so bad, or, you know, things of that nature. So the victim says, hey, I haven't deleted anything off my phone. The phone has ultimately gone missing at this point, which Spacey's lawyers are arguing is a big red flag and means that the case should be dismissed. Um, the one thing that is kind of worrisome and kind of makes you take a, take a second look at the allegations and the whole story is, he did end up pleading the fifth, um, while being questioned about, um, this whole thing. Now, pleading the fifth just means you don't want to incriminate yourself. And he could have taken it just because um, Spacey's lawyers went after him so hard. I don't think we need to... I don't think we should look at him taking the fifth as an admission of guilt or an admission that he lied about something. Um, Alan Jackson, who is Kevin Spacey's lawyer, said... This entire case is compromised. This case needs to be dismissed, and I believe it should have been dismissed today. Judge Thomas Barrett, on the other hand, said, It may well be dismissed for the reasons given, but it's not going to be today. We will see what happens. Prosecutors want time to sit back and evaluate their case and see what's going on and if they can proceed forward in a logical manner. Um... The mother, uh, the mother of the accuser, of the victim, has said, my son was definitely a victim. I deleted text messages that I didn't think were pertinent to the case. And yes, we, yes, we dropped the lawsuit against Mr. Spacey, but there was no settlement. Now, that seems like hogwash to me, but... You know, it is also very interesting that the stories are changing just after... um, That the stories are changing just after the lawsuit was dismissed, which really makes me believe that there there was a big payout. And that Kevin Spacey probably won't face the charges. And I hope whatever amount he paid was enough. A lot. I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. And, okay, so... Just so y'all know, I get in trouble so much for the website. 
if you haven't been over there, please go to drunkgossip.com. Um, Will and I are putting a lot of work into this. And I, I get into a lot of trouble because I don't use the proper categories. I just throw everything under rich people problem because, well, these are all rich people's problems. And, you know, that's just, that's just how I roll. I, honestly, I get so busy sometimes I forget that I'm supposed to be using other categories. And I forget what categories um, that I should be using because um, I, sometimes I'll record 20 or 30 segments in a day. And I don't always remember um, what each one was about. I know, I know. I need to stop drinking. <laughs> Anyways, one of the segments I do remember recording was when Chris Kattan alleged that Lauren Michaels forced him to have sex with Amy Heckerling. Now, for those of you who don't remember this, I'm going to give you a brief, brief, brief synopsis. So in his book, Baby Don't Hurt Me, Chris wrote a passage about... Um, the filming of A Night at Roxbury. And essentially what he claimed in this was that Amy Heckerling had come on to him. He turned her down, she accepted it, moved on. But he got a call from Lauren Michael, um, Uber producer of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, um, The Late Show with um, Seth Meyers, and of course, Saturday Night Live, um, among other, many other shows. Um, but, um, allegedly Lauren told Chris Kattan that he better keep Amy happy so that the movie got made. Originally, she was attached as a director. Um, she dropped out of the movie for whatever reason. I that's never been quite clear. But she's well, she dropped out of directing the movie, but she stayed on as a producer. Um, ultimately, they did have sex, and it was consensual. There was no me too about it. Um, but people have been kind of like, hmm, what's what really happened that night, and. Amy, for her part, wants no part in the story at all. Um, she has basically said that she believes that Chris Kattan is crazy and just uh, uh, seeking attention for his book. In, in an interview with the Daily Beast... Um, here is what Amy had to say about this. Ugh, I didn't read it. He's a nut. You know, I don't comment about that because basically I have no interest in helping his book sales. I don't even want to know or hear the dumb shit he came up with. But the reporter wasn't happy with that. They wanted a pull quote so bad that would make headlines. Which, her calling him a nut would have made headlines. Let's just be real here. 
She said, no, I have nothing to say about him or his idiot book. I don't feel like helping him at all. Um, and a spokesperson for Saturday Night Live said, um, this did not happen. Chris, for his part, also claims that his alleged affair with Amy was kept secret so people wouldn't talk about it. Um, and so it wouldn't look suspicious or Me Too-ish. Um, but it ruined his friendship with Will Ferrell, who he filmed the movie with. He claimed that Will got really angry that he kept the affair from him, and it broke the trust and ultimately led to them um, performing less and less on um, Saturday Night Live. And... You know, I don't even know what to say about this, honestly. Um, I kind of, you know, Amy didn't deny that she had sex with him. She didn't deny that, um, that something happened between them. She just said she didn't want to help his book sales. Um, so I don't know if this is a lover, like, she's just angry because things didn't work out, or if there's something else going on. But I do know I'm going to take a break and come right back. And I'm back. So, in the absence of Will being able to record with me, um, and and again, there's a slight chance he may record something on his own, but when I... When I took off um, for for my trip to Detroit, I had told him that he was going to get some vacation time because he works really hard. Um, I know this seems like a really easy gig, but it's not, especially with me as host. <laughs> um, and Will really does. He, he does his research. He gets... Um, he does his research, he does um, all the legwork for me. Um, basically, all I do is I find the segments I want to talk about, and I talk about them. He, when it comes to politics, he does the heavy lifting. Um, so, thank you, Will. And hopefully, unlike last time, when I got in a little bit of trouble for going a little bit off topic talking about Trump, Trump and, and and maybe swearing a little bit too much. Um, hopefully this time, um, since it's the blind item, I can stay focused and and make you guys proud. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> Here we go. This comes to us from Blind Gossip. For all the best blind items, head on over to blindgossip.com. And it's called POTUS Potential Goes From No to Maybe. And it says, with more than 20 candidates in the Democratic primary vying to be president of the United States, the talk has now turned to who will be exiting the crowded field. We actually have something a bit more interesting for you. It's about who may be entering the race. Yes, Richie Rich hedge fund guy Tom Steyer is making noise about jumping in and emphasizing impeachment as his primary issue. However, that's not who we are talking about. 
there's a female potential candidate who is considering entering the race. She kept saying no, no, no. Now she's saying maybe. She's been quietly talking about the logistics of the timing and fundraising. This this started happening after the debates, so it's very recent. Yes, you know her name. This could be interesting. Okay. So, I'm going to go over some of the the other guesses that were made first, and then we're going to talk about my guess. So, one of the guests, and this is not, by no means is this the most popular guess. It was just one or two people who said it. Um, but AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I did not say her name right, I just call her AOC all the time, um, was bandied about. She is not old enough to run for POTUS, okay? She's, maybe at some point she will. Um, but for those of you who hate her, breathe a sigh of relief. She will not be joining the 2020 fracas. For, um, for others... Um, um, another name that was really bandied about a lot, and this is the most popular guest, it's not my guest, but it is the most popular guest, was Oprah. Oprah is a very interesting guest, and I'm not guessing Oprah simply because I think my guess is a little bit more, um, more suited, but... Um, the Oprah guess is interesting because she did just leave 60 Minutes. Um, and everyone knows her name. So she, her entering the race, she would start with very, very high levels of um, name recognition, which is very important, especially in this early stage of the primary. Uh, the reason why I don't think it's her is... Frankly, I don't think she has a chance of winning the nomination. Um, And I think... I honestly think that... Democrats have kind of come to the point now where... We've all said, hey, we already have one inexperienced... Business person... Who has completely screwed up the country. Let's maybe get someone with a little bit more experience in there. It's also why, even though I love Pete um, Buttigieg, I don't think um, he's going to clinch the nomination either. But in his case, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think his goal was national name recognition. I think he wanted to up his profile, which he did significantly. Um, as far as I've seen, he was the number one fundraiser for the Democrats. Um... In the second quarter. Um, so I, I think he just wanted to raise his profile and maybe get a role in the cabinet or maybe make a play for a Senate or um, a seat in Congress. Um, Oprah doesn't need that. Um, so I'm really hesitant to go with Oprah on this. 
That's not to say she's not a fabulous guest. I think she is. I just don't think she's the right one. Um, my guess, and yes, I'm skipping over the Michelle Obama guest because, frankly, after the first eight years that they've spent in the White House, I don't think that the Obamas want to um, go back so soon. Um, of course, I could be wrong, but again, I just don't see Michelle Obama entering the race. My guess is brace yourselves. Hillary Clinton. Hillary would make the most sense in this case. Um, she's already run in two other presidential primaries, winning one. So, if after watching the debate, she saw how Joe Biden completely screwed up, it would be very, very, very easy for her to say, okay, our front runner just went wobbly. I won the popular vote in 2016. I can do this. I, I can step in and I can be the Democrat savior yet again. It would put her in a rematch with Trump um, if she were to win the nomination, which at this point actually seems very likely. Um, there was a poll, or uh, I don't know what it's called. I'm going to say a poll. Out yesterday that showed that it doesn't matter who the Democrats' nominee is, they are likely to beat Trump. Now, of course, Trump will call that fake news and whatever because that's what he does. And um, Hillary would honestly make the most sense um, to jump back into, into the fray. She's an experienced politician. She could easily suck up all the air out of the room. Um, we've seen Representative um, Eric Salwell um, leave the race. Tom Sayer did indeed during the race this morning. But none of these people are going to make a big impact. And that's the whole thing. Who, If someone's going to enter the race at this point, they have to be able to make a big impact. Um, Oprah would definitely make a big impact. I'm just not sure it would be big enough to cause a, a shift in voting priorities. Hillary Clinton jumping in most definitely would. Um, and I'm going to suggest this. If, if she's moved to a maybe, I don't want her to join the actual race. I want her to be somebody's VP pick. Um, right now, Joe Biden is the presumed frontrunner. Let Joe pick Hillary as his running mate. Two experienced, heavy-hitting politicians would wipe the floor with Trump and Pence. All I'm saying. I'm going to go and I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. Um, I know we just did our political segment, but we need to do another one real fast because there's breaking news. Ross Perot, the former presidential candidate, has passed away at the age of 89. 
Uh, Perot was a billionaire. He sold a company he founded that collected data to General Motors for $2.5 billion. He took that money and began what some see as a very successful um, political career. Um, in 1990, he ran for pre- or. I'm sorry, in 1992, he ran for president for the very first time against incumbent um, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. He came in third with 8% of the vote. And in 1996, he ran again, this time garnering 19% of the vote. He is the first president, he is the first third party um, candidate to gather that much steam in in our country's long history. He, for the most part, um, his platform was running against NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, and in 90, 1995, he formed the Reform Party. Um... Which is when he gained a lot of traction and um, was able to garner 19% of the vote. I keep hitting that statistic because it's really amazing. You know, we look at the, um, the current Democratic primary right now. And with the exception of Biden, Warren, Harris, no one has really been above low two figures. So for him to gain 19% in the national um, campaign against Bill Clinton and um, Bob Dole is nothing short of miraculous. Um, He was, like I said, he was, Ross Perot was 89 years old. And he was not a very popular figure. Um, People on both sides hated him. Mostly because his ideas seemed way out there. It was almost, and I'm really hesitant to use this, but it was almost like he was a template for Donald Trump, if Donald Trump had brains. Um, You know, he, he really fought... For the working class, or at least that was his platform. Uh, you know, he said NAFTA would take away jo- American jobs and whatnot. He um, he was just one of those men who you would you you really wouldn't necessarily like, but you had to begrudgingly respect him. Um. And his spokesperson, James Fuller, um, in releasing the news about his death, also um, also released this statement. In business and in life, 
Ross was a man of integrity and action, a true American patriot, and a man of rare vision principle and deep compassion. He touched the lives of countless people through his unwavering support of the military and veterans and through his charitable endeavors. Ross Perot will be deeply missed by all who loved him. He lived a long and honorable life. And, you know, when you look at how close he came to actually winning the White House, third place, I mean, hundreds of millions of people never even get into the race. And for him to come in third, that is an incredible achievement on its own. I, you know... I walk two steps close to Washington, D.C., and I'm like, ooh, look at me, I'm close to the White House. So I can't imagine how it felt to garner that much support. Uh, there's nothing else to say here except for rest in peace, Ross Perot, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And Sarah Jessica Parker is an icon. Some would even argue that she's a legend, having played Carrie Bradshaw for six seasons and two big-budget, big-screen movies, um, has really carried and helped her star stay lit. And, I mean, and before that, she was already a major star. Um, before she did Sex and the City, she was a movie star who was very popular. Um, and she she took to the Sex and the City fame and translated it into some more movies, um, mostly rom-coms, um, where she is one of the few bankable stars um, in that genre. And it, it so it's really refreshing when she opens up. Sarah Jessica Parker comes from an era where stars didn't talk about things. They, they kept mostly to themselves. And the little bit we did hear about them was mostly through gossip and whatnot. And, you know, and Sarah Parker has been very private about everything, including her marriage. Um, she's never really talked about things like um, Me Too or... And when she did talk about me, she was more of a champion of the women who came forward, never about her own experience. Well, all that has changed. Because in an interview, she came forward and said, I talk, you know, this happened and I talked to my agent. Um, here, she's talking about a colleague who... Um, when she says it, she says that the colleague was behaving not only inappropriately, but perhaps I would even say not, they weren't living up to their um, contractual obligations. Uh, and she wouldn't name who this was, but she did say he was a very big movie star. And she didn't feel comfortable enough to speak up on set. And then she said... I think no matter how evolved or modern I thought I was, I didn't feel entirely in a position, no matter what my role on set was, 
I didn't feel as powerful as a man who was behaving inappropriately, which strikes me as just stunning to say out loud, because there were plenty of occasions where it was happening and I was in a different position and I was as powerful. I mean, I had every right to say, this is inappropriate. I, I could have felt safe in going to a superior. But she didn't go to the superior, she went to her agent. Which, I'm going to stop right here and just insert a little commentary. So there are people, there are some commenters, mostly men's rights groups, who say, hey, 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 this is not okay. She went to her agent instead of talking to to a producer or someone like that. First of all, we don't know what the story is here. We don't know why she felt she couldn't go to the producer. We don't know, you know, she, this is not something that we have information to. And how fucking dare you, okay? How fucking dare you criticize the woman when all along you're saying, well, she should have told someone. She should have told someone who could have changed it. In the story, her fucking agent changed it for her. And here's a, here's what I believe. I've had an agent. And your agent is your proxy. You need to be able to tell your agent, your manager, or whomever, if you're uh, if you're an actor or, or you know, if you're an actor, if you're a writer, if you're a producer, whomever, if someone is making you feel uncomfortable or whatnot, it is their job. If you tell them, hey, this dude is acting inappropriately, it is their job to go to the producers for you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Let's go on with Sarah Jessica Parker's story. Um, so she went to her, her agent and she was crying and she said, you know, I, I, I don't want to do this. Is there any way I can get out of it? The agent said, let me take care of it for you, which is their job. And then she continues by saying, within hours, everything changed. My agent said to them, if this continues, I've sent her a ticket, a one-way ticket out of this city where I was shooting, and she will not be returning. And and she said after she sought help from her agent, um, the environment was improved, but it wasn't perfectly pleasant. And she continued to say, I didn't have to listen to jokes about me or my figure or what people thought they could talk me into doing. All these men, all these men, that stopped. The nature of the person who I felt was really the instigator. This was a grown a grown man, a very big movie star. And, you know, he was baked, meaning his perf- personality, it was cooked. He was a form person and that wasn't going to change. But I certainly felt better and safer, like I could finish what I had agreed to do. Now, of course, um, of course, this has turned into a guessing game of to who it could be. A lot of sources, including one I read um, just before recording the segment, said that this happened on the Sex and the City set. It did not. Nowhere in this does Sarah Jessica Parker say this happened on the Sex and the City set. Um... I don't believe that it did because the Sex and the City set was all about female empowerment. And honestly, the only major movie stars that appeared were Vince Vaughn and Matthew McConaughey. And at that point, um, I'm going to argue that 
Um, first of all, she was an executive producer, so she would have had equal or more power than a guest star. Um, and I, I do understand why people are guessing that it could be one of them. Because she does insinuate it with, he was baked. Even though she was, she kept saying she was talking about his personality, I can definitely see where they're coming from. Where you could assume, hey, you know, you're talking about the dude being high. Um, but I'm going to go out on a one here and say that this, um, this did not happen when, um, when she had enough power where she could have said something. And when they appeared, it was already so far into the series that they couldn't, they literally could not do this show without her. Um, there, there are some really good guesses. James Kahn, um, who she did, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, or Nicolas Cage, also from Honeymoon in Vegas. I can kind of see, um, I can see it being James Kahn being the instigator. And then Nicolas Cage just picking up the slack there. Um, because she wouldn't have had the power that they had, especially James Khan, who was a very, very popular actor. Uh, I mean, he can obviously, he continues to be very popular even in his semi-retirement. Um, and Nicolas Cage, at one time, was arguably the biggest movie star on Earth. So, you have those two. And I can see them acting shady. I can see them acting weird. Um, some of the other guesses, like Steve Martin, I'm not going to say are wrong. I just don't feel like they fit as perfectly. Um, Nicolas Cage is a well-known drug user, as I believe James Kahn was really known for for toking up as well. Uh, so, and until, until she releases the information of who it was, I don't think we're going to really know. We can speculate all we want, which is what we do here on Drunk Gossip. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, cheers.